Hey guys, this is Fluff. And this is Slam. And this is our podcast, Heterosexualized. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Heterosexualized Podcast. I'm Fluff. And I'm Slam. And this is our second episode. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us. If you haven't listened to our first episode, uh, we go a little bit over what our story is and um, how we came out and things like that. Um, But this is a podcast where we talk about everything LGBTQ plus because we are later in life lesbians. And these are all the things that we couldn't talk about when we were closeted as youth for the majority for the majority of our life. Yeah, not just youth. So uh, if you guys have any suggestions for topics that you want us to talk about or look into for you, definitely shoot us a message. How can they reach us, Flo? They can reach us at our Facebook page, Heterosexualized Podcast, by sending a message that will get directly to us. Or you can email us at heterosexualizedpodcast at gmail.com. We love uh, hearing people's stories. A couple of you have already reached out. we're super pumped. About yeah, that. we're super excited. So we definitely want to have a few of you on the show. Um, if you have any topic suggestions or just want to come on and have a place to tell your story or mm-hmm. talk about something that you weren't able to talk about, we would love to have you on. If you consider yourself an expert in any of the areas that we discuss or plan to discuss, please reach out to us. We would love to have some people on here that are definitely more professional and more knowledgeable than us. Yes, because <laughs> we are definitely not experts. We are just too lesbians who just want to talk about some stuff just bullshitting so today we are talking about internalized homophobia which is a big deal so it's kind of a it's kind of a heavy episode i think there's gonna be a lot of information i feel like it's a lot so we are going to talk about internalized homophobia and how that affects someone's decision to come out later in life. Cause I know it definitely affected my decision on coming out later in life. So let's uh, start with a definition. And this comes from the rainbowproject.org's article on this topic. It reads internalized homophobia and impression happens to gay, lesbian, and bisexual people, and even heterosexuals who have learned and have been taught that heterosexuality is the norm or the correct way to be. And by taught, we don't mean like we were all sat down as children and indoctrinated and saying that gays are bad and heterosexual is the only way to be. Um, But it's just, it's, systemic it's built into the very fabric of our society and our lives for most of us yeah things that we don't even realize we're doing it's the nonverbal and verbal things that we teach our children it's gender reveal parties it's blue is for boys pink is for girls it's asking children if they have a boyfriend or girlfriend in school all of these things whether the the parents or adults realize it are actually training us as youth to know and understand that heterosexuality is it's the norm and it's the correct way to be which is pretty close to our definition of our made-up term of our podcast heterosexualized Um, but this internalized homophobia can result in a lot of mental health issues and trauma for a lot of people Um, It takes away your sense of self-worth and self-love. It makes people feel less than or unusual, weird, uh, outcast even. Uh, It leads a person, 
sorry, my cat is attacking <laughs> my feet. He's going nuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it also leads to a person holding on to their identity longer and keeping their sexuality a secret uh, for much longer than they normally would have. Wait. And so that's kind of where where we come from. I mean, both of us knew that we uh, were gay as as kids, um, and yet that's something that we didn't feel comfortable coming out with until we were adults, um, even into our thirties. So, yeah, I, that was definitely the case with me. As I said in our last episode, I knew I had attraction towards females when I was as young as nine. Um, but I was constantly told that that was wrong or immoral or unnatural. So I hid this side of me for 30 plus years and it led to a lot of self-destructive and hurtful behavior. Um, part of my internalized homophobia too manifested into how I treated queer people. And this part's really hard for me to talk about because I was so indoctrined by the church and my religion to believe that homosexuality was wrong and a sin that I pushed my agenda onto others. And I regret that so much today. I was really horrible to some amazing people in high school and college. And it's probably one of my life's greatest regrets and the thing that I'm most ashamed about in my life. I projected my own hurt and confusion onto others. And that's never okay to do. And for me, I don't feel like I didn't have a really strong church upbringing. So I wouldn't say that I was indoctrinated or taught anything by the church per se. But I feel like for me, it was just lack of representation. I didn't know or understand the feelings that I was having. And so therefore, I automatically felt shame. Um, whenever I was growing up, I really had only ever been, um, introduced to one homosexual couple that I can think of. Um, it was friends of a parent. And, um, so it wasn't like weird or anything whenever like we would be around them, but, um, I just didn't have that representation. So I feel like for me, it was just something that I kept a secret because I was afraid of how people would react just because I hadn't seen a healthy, interaction with gay people in my everyday life all the time. So again, according to the rainbowproject.org, here are some ways that internalized homophobia can manifest. And there's like 20 some, but I'm just going to read them all because I think they're all very important. Like read them and then like we'll discuss. A yeah, bit. we can do that. Uh, number one, denial of your sexual orientation to yourself and others. Yes, definitely happened to me. Me too. I agree. Um, number two, attempts to alter or change your sexual orientation, uh, which I definitely had that is, you know, I was kind of a serial dater in my college years and I, I had lots of boyfriends that I thought, oh, if I just kept dating, I won't be gay anymore <laughs> if I just kept dating men. So for, for me, it was, I feel like I was in a steady relationship with a man for the majority of my life. And so for me, I identified as bi for a very long time. So my way to get away from that was just to have serious relationships with men. Number three is feeling like you are never good enough. That's definitely a thing. Number four, engaging in obsessive thinking and or compulsive behaviors. Number five, underachievement or even overachievement as a bid for acceptance. 
Number six, low self-esteem and negative body image. Number seven, contempt for more open or obvious members of the LGBTQ community. I think I definitely had that. I think that was, you know, I had contempt for people who could just be themselves and be open um, because I just didn't feel like I could live my true authentic self. So I think that was me lashing out against other people and that totally wasn't okay. I feel like we see that quite a bit. I mean, what was the documentary we just watched where like there was a bunch of people in the um, conversion community in the 80s and 90s um, that after like they realized what they were doing was really wrong, actually ended up coming out as LGBTQ. So um, I feel like the the contempt and we see that like somebody making fun of gay people Mm -hmm. and, and here it is really that they're homosexual themselves and they're just not comfortable enough with themselves that this is how they act out that was definitely a topic of conversation after the pulse nightclub shooting happened i don't know if the shooter was a closeted gay man but a lot of speculation happened that that could have been why he targeted that club and why he shot up those people so um it's definitely something that happens and you know as we can see it can escalate to really dangerous levels Mm -hmm. Number eight, contempt for those at earlier stages of the coming out process. Number nine, denial that homophobia, heterosexism, biphobia, or sexism are serious social problems. Number 10, contempt for those who are not like ourselves or contempt for those who seem like ourselves, sometimes distancing by engaging in homophobic behaviors like ridicule, harassment, verbal or physical attacks on other LGBTQ people. Number 11, projection of prejudice onto another target group. Number 12, becoming psychologically abused or abusive and remaining in an abusive relationship. Number 13, attempts to pass as heterosexual, sometimes marrying someone of the other sex to gain social approval or in hopes of being cured. I don't think I ever felt like I was being cured at any point. I knew I was bi. My ex-husband, I was very upfront with him about um, being a bisexual and having attractions to women. So I don't feel like my marriage was me trying to cure myself, um, but it definitely made it a lot easier to get married because he was a man and I was a woman mm-hmm. and that's just, it, it was very accepting and, and it was just what you did. So I definitely feel like number 13 applies to me. Yeah, for sure. I definitely got married right out of college because that's just what you did. You went to college, you graduated, you married someone, you had babies. It was the natural order of things. So I thought, um, and I definitely thought, oh, I'm being cured because I married a man. I essentially won the dating game. Like, that's what you hope to accomplish. And it, it didn't <laughs> work out that way. It was definitely not being cured. Uh, number 14, increased fear or withdrawal from friends and relatives. Number 15, shame or depression, defensiveness, anger or bitterness, which I definitely had all of the above. <laughs> Number 16, school truancy or dropping out of school. Also workplace absenteeism or reduced productivity. Number 17, continual self-monitoring of one's behaviors, mannerisms, beliefs, and ideas. So I feel like 
I I feel like a lot of gay people do this, especially closeted gay people. Um, we're constantly looking at our behaviors and being like, oh my gosh, am I acting too gay? Um, you, you're constantly like reading the room. Are you around people that you can be yourself with? Um, when I was in college, I, at college, I felt like I could be really out and open. But if I was home with my family, there was definitely no way that I would feel comfortable doing that uh, whenever I was in college. Did you feel like you felt that way at all? Like, um, I don't managing know. Managing your own behaviors. I guess so. Yes. Uh, when I came out in high school, came out, quote unquote, <laughs> um, I constantly like, well, I, when I took it back and then I would say something like, oh, that girl's pretty. And then I'd like constantly like be looking around like, oh, shit. Oh, my God who did I say that in front of? And now are they going to think I'm queer? And then I would take it back and it became a big joke that all oh, the nets not by. And it just like, everybody laughed about it. That was like the inside joke. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel like I did that as well. Number 18 is clowning as a way of acting out society's negative stereotypes. So uh, people that pretend to be gay. So you got like the locker room chatter or whatever, like I've heard friends and relatives of mine that have been in sports and stuff that will pretend like say things like making fun of gay people or pretending to be gay people when it's like a huge joke um it's it's not okay to joke like that no <laughs> and I, I i did that i did that with my friends um pretending to be gay or i mean i am gay but back then it was pretending to be gay i you know would say oh no homo but about you know things like that like that was all um, clowning as a way of acting out mistrust and destructive criticism of LGBTQ community leaders. Um, so I guess what that makes me think of is, um, a, a lot of times an argument that you hear from straight people that are like, Oh, I don't have a problem with gay people. I just don't want them to throw it in my face. Mm -hmm. and, and really, gay people aren't throwing it in your face. They just want to exist. They, they just are who they are. <laughs> I know a lot of people have said, oh, you know, I'm okay that that guy is gay, but does he have to talk gay? Does he have to dress gay? And it's like, yeah, because that's who, who he, he is. is, that he talks that way. That's the tone of his voice. Some straight dudes talk really mm -hmm. gay, you know? Yeah. You can't help the inflection of your voice. And you can't change that part of who you are, especially gay men who are more effeminate. Like that's just who they are and they're comfortable in that. And I say, do that. You should do that. Uh, number 20 is reluctance to be around or have concern for children for fear of being seen as a pedophile. And I have such a huge problem with this because mm -hmm. number one, be, I'm going to be very out about this and I'm sorry if this offends I'm not sorry if this offends anybody but I think pedophilia is one of the most disgusting horrific things in the entire world um, and it is a travesty and I feel that um, I have heard that the pedophile community tries to lump themselves mm -hmm. in with the LGBTQ community um, and and that's just so wrong. And a full disclaimer, like everybody that I have ever met or organizations that I have dealt with that are LGBTQ, nobody from our community condones this behavior, nor do they want them to be associated with our community. It is completely different. Right. Two consenting adults versus 
abuse. Abuse. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's it is exactly abuse. what it is. Um, so that just really sucks that people, society as a general term, um, will sometimes automatically assume that LGBTQ people are pedophiles because it is not one in the same. They are not of the same strain. And mm -hmm. it's just awful. And one thing that I really hate hearing is um, one of the arguments against uh transsexuals being able to use their mm -hmm. correct restrooms right is oh i don't want uh i wouldn't want a man to be in the women's restroom with my kid like so you automatically think that somebody is a pedophile just because they're transsexual and that's just awful that people think that yeah that's an old time thinking that that's old like in yeah. the 50s people yeah. would equate the two and i'm not exactly sure where that came from i feel like i heard another podcast about it but i would like to know where that belief stemmed from more mm -hmm. that could be something we could dive into on another episode yeah. but i do know it stemmed from like that time I period i assume that and this is just my opinion my perception i should say um whenever i hear about um abuses of adults to children a lot of times it is adult men abusing children that are boys mm -hmm. and so i don't know if that's kind of where that comes from but yeah it's just it's one and the same and let's be honest like that happens so like well, if I you're in a bathroom you're if you are a man who is assigned male at birth and you're going into a male restroom and you are a pedophile there's going to be little boys in there so like mm -hmm. I don't understand why all of a sudden it's a big deal that adults and children use the same restroom because that's never been a thing before until the, the discussions about transsexual individuals being able to use their correct bathrooms. It's just, I hate this, hate this so much that people try to associate homosexuality with pedophilia or transsexuality with pedophilia because they are two completely different things. I know the pedophile community, and I even hate to call it that, because that's disgusting, but they have a flag now as if they're trying to lump themselves into oh the LGBTQ gosh. community. It's awful. So I know on a like, especially during pride month, because you know, when we're going out to prize and you see all the different flags, I know it can be confusing about what flag represents what identity, uh -huh. um, which we should do an oh, episode yeah, on. Totally that would be that. a really good episode. Yeah. But I know dur during pride month, especially there's been Facebook posts and TikToks and things flying around about, this is what the pedophilia flag looks like. So if you see this out of pride, like tell that person they are not welcome there. Like right. this is not for you. This is not your march. Correct. Um, because we don't want to be associated with that at all. That is not what we are about mm -hmm. or what who we are. Number 21 is conflicts with the law. Number 22 is unsafe sexual practices and other destructive risk-taking behaviors, including risk for HIV and other STIs. So that would be like promiscuity. Um, to, so that would be a way that gay people combat those feelings as, oh, if I just go have sex with a whole bunch of people mm -hmm. of the opposite gender, maybe it will cure me or maybe it will get the, the gay out of me. Uh, number 23 is separating sex and love for or fear of intimacy, sometimes low or lack of sexual drive or celibacy. So this is the alternate, uh, the alternative to what I had just said. So let's say you're gay, but you're really struggling with these feelings. You're just like, well, I'm just not going to have sex with anybody. And that, that's how I'll deal with it. Number 24 is substance abuse, including drink and drugs. 
Number 25 is thinking about suicide, attempting suicide, or death by suicide. So I looked up a quick statistic um, on suicide rates with LGBTQ youth. Um, and the information that I found said that between 5 and 10% of LGBTQ youth have attempted suicide. And that is one and a half to three times higher than heterosexual youth. Um, and I feel like some people might say like, oh, why is it like a span of like five to 10? Why don't we have like a concrete uh, statistic on that? And it's probably because so many people are afraid to be out and, and gay. So how do you make a concrete statistic if you can't get that information willingly from individuals? So, but it's just horrific that one and a half to three times higher than a straight kid does a gay kid have the likelihood of trying to take their own life? And it's just, it's just really, really sad. So you can really see that this is a really serious issue within the LGBTQ community. And I, I feel like it's not talked about enough, honestly. Mm. I just, I really don't. I know I myself have fallen victim to a lot of the items on the list as we already talked about. And I think you have as well. Yeah. Um, I read another article in my research for today's episode, and this was on Medical News Today, um, and it updates the term internalized homophobia because it says it's not really a phobia at all. It's not, I mean, I guess, you know, you could be afraid of being gay. I think a lot of people are, but the, it, they don't really classify it as a phobia. It gives this phenomenon other names such as internalized heterosexism, sexual prejudice, or having an anti-gay bias. So this article on Medical News Today listed a few other items that internalized, homo internalized heterosexism can result in. So I want to share those as well. Being unable or unwilling to acknowledge your own sexual orientation, holding their same-sex partner to unreasonable standards rooted in heterosexist stereotypes, feeling ashamed of their sexual identity or orientation, trying not to behave in ways that they see as being consistent with heterosexist stereotypes, refusing to acknowledge their same-sex partner publicly. I feel like that happens a lot, especially yeah. with the older gay community. Um, I mean, how many of us find out in our adulthood that we actually had uh, aunts or uncles or mm -hmm. other family members that were gay and we just never knew it, but here they'd been in a committed relationship their entire lives and and we didn't even know because they're just too scared or ashamed to acknowledge that openly it's really sad it to is me. it's really sad um denying the role of heterosexism in lgbtq oppression deriding or disliking people who proudly say that they have a same-sex orientation believing that there is a right and wrong way to be a member of lgbtq communities i don't like that one either like just let people be and I feel like that's that even still happens within the LGBTQ community is, um, and I think we're going to talk about this in some other episodes, is um, like you're not a gay woman if you're not butch enough or mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that because I am very much a femme lesbian. Um, so I always am saying to slam when I'm getting ready, like, does this make me look gay enough? <laughs> like, and, and it doesn't matter. You should just, you know, be, be, just be what you like and 
dress how you like and it doesn't matter if you're seen as gay enough but that is a stigma within the lgbtq community is is looking gay enough and even with heterosexuals like oh you can't be gay you you're don't, too you're too oh, pretty enough to be yeah, gay or, yeah oh you don't look like a lesbian i never would have thought that it's like, like well oh, what does okay. a lesbian look like yeah like, <laughs> please <laughs> Yeah, but we're definitely going to have a, an entire episode about struggles of a femme lesbian and even struggles of a mask lesbian because you are more STEM mask presenting yeah. uh, lesbian. So, and you have your own struggles you deal yeah. with. Um, which one are we are having fear of being gay or others labeling them as gay. So that kind of goes with that as well. Like, oh, I can't act too gay, or people are going to just label me as gay. So why does this internalized homophobia happen? Uh, largely because homosexuality is still a taboo subject in many communities and areas. It is still largely stigmatized and often misunderstood. Unfortunately, even though I think we've made large strides in normalizing sexuality, like we said, suicide rates among LGBTQ are mm -hmm. escalating. Hate crimes and discrimination still plague um, our world and a society. Even just simple harassment and ridicule is something that members of the LGBTQ community deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. So I also looked up um, homelessness, homelessness among LGBTQ community and 40% of the, well, depending on where you find your source and I'll touch on that, but between 20 to 40% of homeless youth actually identifies LGBTQ. Um, and so I, that's from truecolorsunited.org, youth.gov, americanprogress.org, and the human rights campaign. So I, I looked around to a few different sources just to make sure I wasn't finding skewed information. And so there's approximately 4.2 million homeless youth. And so if you look at those percentages between 840,000 and 1,680,000, of 80,000 of those people are LGBTQIA. Yeah. It makes me think, um, we watched Pose. Mm -hmm. um, I know that show's over and, you know, we're catching up on it. Um, but it starts out um, with the main character getting kicked out of his house for being gay. And I think that's an unfortunate reality for a lot of LGBTQ um, people. Yeah, we are very fortunate that our parents are very loving and supporting, mm -hmm. but I know that that's not often the case. Yeah. And so these kids are holding this in and, and living this fake hetero life for fear that they could lose their home or lose their families. It's just really sad. The medical news article today, medical news today article that I referenced earlier goes on to name three factors affecting this internal stigma. Number one being religious conservatism. Many conservative religions promote anti-gay bias. A 2018 study found that colleges with religiously conservative climates indirectly promoted internalized heterosexism by being less accepting of lesbian, gay, and bisexual students. Um, I can definitely attest to the religious conservatism. Um, I grew up in a deeply religious home. And even though my parents weren't the ones telling me that being gay is a sin, I still was fed that at church. And, and it was just a really difficult climate um, growing up and trying to navigate my orientation and identity. Number two is lack of social support. An unsupportive or hostile environment 
which may involve widespread heterosexism, family rejection or participation in anti-gay community may increase the risk of internalizing heterosexist views. And number three is exposure to non-heterosexual identities. People with less exposure to non-heterosexual people may harbor, harbor more stereotypes, increasing their risk for internalized anti-gay bias. So one negative side effect of internalized homophobia that has really affected uh, Fluff is the denial and concealment of her sexuality, which led her, to com- led her and I to coming out much later in life than other people. And we've learned through TikTok and other social media sites that this is not an uncommon phenomenon to come out later in life. Oh my gosh. So TikTok, which everybody got on TikTok during the pandemic. Because what else was there to do? Yeah, there's really (laughs) nothing else to do. Um, So we found lesbian TikTok and it really opened our eyes. We learned so much about ourselves and about our community. And the fact that we were coming out like right before and leading up to this pandemic, we really haven't been able to, to connect with that community. I mean, we live in rural America, yeah, very rural, <laughs> small town, um, a, a red state, a very red state. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, it's hard for us to find a gay community that we can learn from and commune with and have fellowship with. So we kind of got that through TikTok yeah. and still get that through TikTok. We we're, we're trying to find the gays around here. There's not very many to choose from. I know we, we really want a gay community of people that we can meet face to face and yeah. not just on TikTok and hang out with and hang out with <laughs> and be friends with. We need friends. <laughs> Um, but through TikTok and other social media applications, we've um, been able to see that actually our story is really not uncommon. And there's tons of women that had uh, marriages to men, children with men, maybe even multiple marriages with different men until they finally uh, were able to find their true self and, and live their live their truth. And- yeah. Yeah, so Slam and I met in 2019, and our relationship began then. So we were actually together for probably about a year before the pandemic started. Yeah. Um, I think it, it was like 11 months. It was pretty darn close yeah. to a year yeah, that we were together before lockdown. Um, so we just, you know, had no idea that there are other people out there um, that are later in life lesbians that were married to men and have children from previous marriages. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really eye opening to see all of that. And we've found lots of others like us that just took longer to come out than others. So it's awesome that if you're able to like come out as a young person and really live your entire adulthood um, like that, but we just, that wasn't our story. Yeah. So but I think the pandemic really opened a lot of women's eyes of being locked down with their husbands. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh no, I really don't like Who this. Oh, no. Thankfully we were divorced by the time <laughs> the pandemic Aww. happened. So we didn't have to be locked down with our husbands, but we actually locked down together. Which, yeah. Oh yeah. That been bad so I think that was really eye-opening. Like, hmm, <laughs> I really am gay. <laughs> So we wanted to list some tips um, if this is how you're feeling at whatever stage you are in life in the coming out process and thinking about your own sexual identity. So here are some tips if this is the way you're feeling. Find an LGBTQ community. Uh, We love our roller derby team and the roller derby community as a whole. Um, Even though not everyone on the team is gay or bi or anything in between, 
everyone is super supportive and loving. And that's so important to taking steps towards loving yourself exactly how you are. Yeah, not just our team, but the entire roller derby community worldwide. Um, it's just very open and accepting. Um, the the leagues that we go through, um, gender language is very important. Pronouns are very po- important. It's very inclusive of not just um, born assigned AFOBs, assigned mm-hmm. females at birth, um, but also transsexual women um, and non-binary individuals as yes. well. So that's really exciting to have a community like that. And your community doesn't have to be completely filled with other queer people, but instead just people who are loving and compassionate and non-judgmental to your identity, who are willing to talk with you and and help you navigate this journey. Um, or just so, celebrate your life. Or just like, celebrate you. Our, yeah. our team um, was instrumental in us becoming engaged, like they participated in oh, yeah. our engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, they are so excited for us and they love us so much. And the majority of our team are straight cis women. Yeah. So we always joke that like there's this one woman on our team who is super straight. Oh yes. <laughs> she is so into her husband. Which is so awesome. <laughs> there's like not a gay bone in this woman's body, but she is one of our biggest supporters. Oh, yeah. She's and a huge ally. Yeah. It's it's she's such a great ally. So look for people who love you just the way you are. Cheerleaders in your life. People that'll celebrate you. Number two is find a therapist. Uh, We not only as queer people, but just people in general need to be talking more about mental health. I'm on four different medications for my mental health. Uh, Slam and I both see a therapist. Society makes us feel like there is a giant stigma on taking care of your mental health, but know that you're not alone. It's normal. It's okay. And your mental health can be manageable if you take steps towards maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. We we really need to be taken, even if you're not going to therapy or on medications, uh, self-care. So making sure you're taking time for yourself. Um, as parents, I know that it can be really easy for us to get lost in just constantly taking care of our children. Um, but if you have a partner that is truly a partner in your life and helpful to you, or if you have family members that will help you, um, always try to take at least a little bit of time for yourself. Even if it's just a quiet moment, it doesn't have to be going out and doing some type of activity or whatever, but just being in the quiet sometimes. Educate yourself is the next uh, bullet point here. There are tons of websites and books and movies and other resources that can help guide you through answering questions about your sexual identity and orientations. Simply search coming out later in life and you'll get a slew of them. I know that uh, recently I got a queer history book and I'm like super into that right now. So um, a lot of straight people will be like, oh, it's, it's this whole gay thing is a fad. All of a sudden everybody wants to be gay. Everyone's so queer. It's the cool thing to do. No, actually, if you find the right history books, you're going to see that Uh, There have been transsexuals, gay people, lesbians, queers forever since the beginning of time. Yeah, history super gay. It really is. Um, And we actually want to do some episodes, some recurring ones of like a spotlight on gay people of history. Because I think it's so important to know where we came from um, so that we can see where we're going in the future. So I think that's really important uh, to talk about gay history 
Uh, the other one is seek spiritual or religious support. Uh, something I've struggled with my entire life was how my orientation and my faith can coexist. I'm a 33-year-old woman, and I am finally realizing that I can both be a lesbian and a Christian woman. We're going to talk more extensively about orientation and faith on another episode, but just a short teaser right now. Slam and I have found a church in our area that is open and affirming, um, which is great and surprising. (laughs) Um, But our minister is very loving and supportive. Our church uses gender-neutral language for God and for Christ. And there's queer people of faith in positions of leadership within the church who are up front and out and proud and who take place in worship every single morning. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal that if you are a queer Christian and you're going to church that you actually have these conversations with your preacher, with your uh, other leaders in the church, elders, deacons, whatever, um, and ask them, are you open and affirming? And a lot of times you're going to get the oh, well, we welcome everyone mm-hmm. or, oh, we, we love everyone. Uh, hate, hate the sinner <laughs> or hate the sin, not the sinner. Um, and that's really not good enough. We actually need to be asking these churches as a queer person, am I going to be able to, to rise to a, to a leadership position in the church? Am I going to be able to participate in all of the things that my straight counterparts are participating yeah. in? Is my family going to be welcome here? Um, am I going to be able to be myself here? Uh, am I going to be accepted as much as the straight people are? Like, I know my parents sit in church and they hold hands. Is that going to be okay yeah. for me to sit here and hold my partner's hand while we worship together? Exactly. And if the answers are no, then you might need to start looking for another church if you're not comfortable with that. I can't tell you the difference it makes to be a part of a loving church community who completely accepts me and my wife and my children exactly who we are. I know the Christian community has hurt a ton of people, myself included, and we will talk about religious trauma more in depth on a later episode, but know right now that there are pastors out there who love and accept and fully support our community. Myself being one, I I am a pastor. I went to seminary and have my master's in pastoral leadership. Reach out to me. I would love to talk with you about your faith or your identity. I would love to give you some affirmations and remind you that you're a bad bitch and you're worthy of self-love. Or I can connect you with another minister if you'd like. I have a ton of friends who are open and affirming as well. And re- go ahead. <laughs> and now we're talking over each other. Uh, and remember that coming out is personal. It's solely up to you when and if and how you come out. There's no right or wrong way. And we'll have a fuller episode on coming out later. Uh, but know that it's okay to go slow. Start testing the waters with a few trusted friends. Slam and I did that. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about that on the first episode. You're going to be really surprised about where you find your support. I know some of my biggest supporters were the people I thought were going to be the hardest to come out to. And and I, even the people that you're not as scared to come out to, you might be really surprised about like how they react. I'm super close to my mom and she was one of the people that I was, um, less scared to come out to, I guess, just because I know that she was going to love me no matter what. And I love her no matter what. Um, and she's never given me any reason to believe that she would be hateful or hurtful about that process with me, but I was still nervous and she's just so cool and like intuitive and she just really gets it. And it's never been a thing since like, it's been a seamless transition from straight crystal to gay crystals. (laughs) It's like, 
I, it just, you, you never know who and when it you're going to get the most support. And don't be surprised if not everyone accepts your identity. Some people just aren't there yet. They're just not ready to. But hopefully with time and in seeing you be your true, authentic, and most importantly, happy self, they will come to accept it. And if they don't, then they just might not be your people. We as queer people have the beautiful opportunity to create our own families if our own families that we were born into are unsupportive. Know that there is an entire community of people out here who are willing to step in and step up and support you to the fullest. And know that your current family and friends will have questions. Answer what you want, but know you don't have to answer everything. You're not their resident queer person on all things LGBTQ. It is not your responsibility to educate them. No. That being said, however, education is really powerful and it's what's going to teach people um, to be more open and accepting. So even if you're not comfortable on giving that information, please try to steer them in the right direction so that they can get that information. Um, Otherwise, they're likely to just shut down and just remain ignorant. And that's not what we want either. Which leads us to our final section of how to be a good ally. This list comes also from the Medical News Today article. Number one is listening to and believing other people's experiences. Accepting feedback and prioritizing being supportive and learning over defending one's goodness and status as an ally. Avoiding any offensive humor such as anti-gay jokes that may make people feel uncomfortable. Speaking out when others make anti-gay statements. Fostering a diverse environment where all views matter and marginalized groups' opinions count. Learning about the unique challenges that members of LGBTQIA plus communities face. And I want to add one more, and that's to educate yourself. I mean, you might not be a queer person, but it is your responsibility to educate yourself and not depend on your queer friends to educate and do the work for you. And by educate, we mean real education, not just like, memes (laughs) yeah not something your conservative joe schmo you know church member uh posted and you reshared just try to educate yourself and do real education there are some great websites out there um human rights campaign being Mm -hmm. one rainbowproject.org there's just a ton of things um most of the time you can tell a good news source if it's dot org or dot gov um dot coms it, it gets a little anybody can make a website <laughs> right right uh so get your sources from credible legitimate places. <laughs> or actual cited articles that's another thing whenever i was doing a little bit of research earlier um it seems like the google search at the top was actually gave me a section of articles that were specifically like cited sources so um just real education not just memes please <laughs> So that concludes our second episode about internalized homophobia. Uh, So thank you so much for listening. Do we want to tell them what we're talking about next week on our third episode? Yeah, give them a little teaser. Um, Well, next week is going to be our religious and faith-based conversation um, about how to be queer and how to be a person of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, So you should stay tuned for that if that's something you're interested in. Uh, That'll be coming to you next week. If anybody has anything to add to that that you might want us to include or look into specifically, please get a hold of us so that we can do that uh, research for you and find out what we can on the topic. 
And you can get a hold of us via our Facebook page, Heterosexualized Podcast, or you can email us at heterosexualizedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see see you next time. time. Bye.